Thanks so much for joining us today, everyone. With us today, we have Mr. John Baldani. He's going to be talking with us today about when talk is not cheap and when leaders need to communicate well. And so with that, I'm going to just introduce him a little bit here for our audience. For those of you who may have grown up under a rock and don't know who he is, John is a globally ranked top 10 executive and leadership coach. Additionally, he's authored 16 books and more than 800 leadership columns for Ford, Harvard's Business Review, and others. In 2021, the International Federation of Learning and Development named John as a world-class mentor and added him to their Hall of Fame. This year, Thinkers360 named John as a top 10 thought leader for leadership and management. From 2007 to 2022, Global Gurus placed John in the top 20 global leadership experts. He's also a member of the prestigious 100 Coaches Group formed by Marshall Goldsmith. Currently, he hosts the LinkedIn Live's Grace Under Pressure interview series, where he interviews hundreds of business leaders, academics, and innovators from around the world. We're super, super, extremely lucky to be able to meet with you today, John. So welcome, and how are you doing today? Well, the pleasure is mine, Gary. I uh, always appreciate the idea of um, getting my message out and honored to speak to you today. So let's have a good conversation. Well, our topic for today is about leadership communication. And since you're one of the world's renowned experts on it, and, and I usually bumble my communication, let's just kick it off with... For you and for your your group, because I'm an aspiring coach and a researcher as well, why is it important for leaders to communicate well? Well, it's it's basically leadership 101. If you cannot communicate, then you cannot lead. And the idea of communication, you know, um, it's it's multifaceted. It's not simply words. It's also actions. And what are those? I many many years ago, I developed a model that there's three things: leaders speak, leaders listen and leaders act. And so you, you stay on message, whatever it is. You listen to what people are saying, you observe how they're doing, and you take into consideration, move forward. Throughout the whole process, uh, I think so often, you know, the old cliche, do you have one mouth and two ears and use them in proportion? Uh, that's a good lesson for leaders because uh, leaders who listen are those who observe what's going on and they don't make themselves the central focus of attention. They are focusing the attention on the team and on others. That doesn't mean leaders don't have a responsibility to others. Uh, I mean, that, that is the nature of that. But they're not calling attention to themselves. And in doing so, they're letting people speak for themselves. And so communication is that ability to simply give a directive, but follow through on it and make sure that people understand it. Uh, our military has a wonderful model called the briefback, is when orders are given, then you ask the person who receives it to tell you in their own words what was just spoken. And so that's a clarification process. And I wish more of us did that because um, leaders get busy and they say something one time or that's not fully formed and people go off in different directions. So. Uh, it's important to stay on message. And when the message changes, well, 
bring people into the loop and let them know what's going on. So communication is central, but it, again, it's more than words. It's just part of that is the listening. I really like that. Thanks so much. I like that part that you talked about. There's a couple points that I really, really liked in there. The message isn't about the leader, but it's about the team and moving the team forward. As, as new leaders specifically, there's that temptation a lot of times to misconstrue that focal point in that communication. That it's about me as the leader and I'm a failure. And so I don't want to look like a failure to you. How do, how do leaders get around that? Well, I have a little saying that leadership is all about you. Leadership is not about you. It's the yin and the yang. Leadership is not about you because it's about achieving results through the actions of others. But it's all about you to create the conditions where people can come together for common purpose and put those and make those actions happen. And so it's a it's a a, a bipolar process, if you will, mm. not about you, all about you. And you make people feel that they are contributors to the organization. Uh, they are assets. They are those who make things happen. And the best leaders I know are those who are often, often listening and learning from their people. It's, so it's, that's a balance. And I think you said something with emerging leaders. If they haven't had a course in leadership or been exposed to good leaders, their perception, and not unwarranted, is that I have to tell people what to do. Well, yeah, it's, yes, you're responsible for setting their direction, but you do it with people. And part of that is certainly for job descriptions, or I'm sorry, uh, performance objectives. Make it a collaborative process was possible. At the same time, you know, the, um, there's reciprocity. The employee owes his or her manager, the, their best effort. And so it's a two-way street. So there's a give and take on both sides. You mentioned something in there about how leaders, those that are merging, not unwarranted, can have that perception that it's about directing and that's all that you're doing as a leader. Because um, a lot of new leaders tend to be directive and not do anything much else. Well, the flip side of that is, is, is be supportive. Um, it's open the door for uh, opening the door for others to achieve their best. And part of that is holding uh, is accountability is so critical. Accountability starts with self. A leader who holds themselves to high standards can ex can ask that of others. A leader who um, plays the double standard game and said, this is for you and not for me. Well, that is the quickest way to erode trust. And so that's why there is an awful lot of distrust within an organization because people perceive two sets of standards. True. That's, that's a good point you bring up. We see that a lot in, in news stories. When it, when it comes down to leadership communication and their leadership communication style, honesty and integrity and and those things are very important to move that message forward. What are some tips that leaders can do to better make that message more palatable and clear? 
Well, I think the big thing is to be clear. And so if you have an important message, write it out and then make sure that it's understood by asking people, what do you think about it? If it's a project, then keep following through. Leaders need to keep themselves in the loop. That's part of the communication process. So follow up with what's going on. Listen, be flexible to um, what can change, what can be adjusted. You know, the old saying, of, I think it was... Uh, Clausewitz, who said that plans go awry as soon as the first shot is fired. Well, that often happens with any initiative. So be flexible and listen to what others are saying and uh, exert a level of understanding. At the same time, people are accountable. People have to put in the effort and you support them with that, giving them the resources and the tools to do it. And if they don't have sufficient tools and resources, well, then you come to a mutual understanding of what can be done and by when. So it's, again, all of that is communication. It's back and forth, back and forth. Where, tr where problems don't occur is when there is no back and forth, when it's one-way communication from top down. And uh, something that a lot of us don't, those of us in the civilian sector don't understand about the military is that the perception is the order is given, yes. But there's also a lot of upward chatter about uh, how, how things can be done and what how the order is received and what uh, suggestions come from various ranks. So there is very much two-way uh, communication, even within a hierarchical institution. And a classic example where that is not happening is with the Russian army in Ukraine. Um, they are very poorly led from the top and they have no essential, uh, they don't have the non-com leadership. And so that's why their generals are flailing badly. And that's to the advantage, fortunately, to the Ukrainians. It's a good thing you mentioned there, because I noticed I'm a veteran. And so I served in the military and, and I served with both the general level, the executive level and the non-executive level, the ground pounders. And there is a lot when I watch the news and specifically with the Russia situation, it boggles my mind as to why that communication isn't happening because there are multi-levels of communication in the U.S. military that I've been accustomed to. Absolutely. Well, you, you know it 10 times better than I ever do. <laughs> but it's so true. We have to have that back and forth. There just can't be top-down leadership uh, and spewing of directives because... It causes problems. But at the same time, um, leaders have authority to get things, have been entrusted to get things done. And so it is their role to set directives. Often, as you would know, you know, set that with the, what is the commander's intent? What's the manager's intent? And so let's work collaboratively to find it. But the final word must lie with the person of rank and, you know, be the manager or the officer, whatever it is, he or she is responsible for that. And so it, this is being, being a good communicator is not, we're not back to Sesame Street here. People have a voice, but ultimately the leader must make the final decision and move forward from there. That's true. I like the Sesame Street analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I often use that, uh, not yeah. Sesame Street, but other television series. In one of your books that you, you wrote, it's the Great Communication Secrets of Great Leaders. And in there, you had three tips. And one of the tips was that as a leader, mostly in a mid-range or maybe even an executive level, that there was one thing that really stuck out, that we don't overpromise. Leaders shouldn't overpromise something, but they should overdeliver. 
And and that sort of that gave me a flashback. As you see behind me, I have some Star Trek memorabilia. And so uh, Scotty, one of the engineers on the original Enterprise, would always tell his new recruits that you always underpromise to the captain and overdeliver. And so can you share a little bit more about how that came about in your book and some examples that you've seen? Well, it's actually a great sales thing. Uh, you know, you say, I'll do the best I can. And then you ex and you know, you can do better, but you don't oversell it. So um, kind of a two edged sword in a way. But yeah, it's a good mantra to we are going to exert our best and our best might achieve, you know, better than we ever expected. So that's a plus plus. The downside of that is you're underselling and you're withholding. You're, you can lead to negative consequences and, you know, in the sense that you're not exerting your best. You're sort of getting by. But I think it's always better to delight than disappoint. And so there is a, and also, good point. When things are in a crisis or a serious challenge coming up, you do the best you can. Uh, I don't know that the overpromising comes into it or under you want to do the best you can. On day-to-day -day things, you'll say, yes, I can meet this thing. And if you exceed it, fine. But you can't be exceeding everything all the time. And if you are, then you're probably in the wrong role and you need to be doing something more challenging. But more importantly that, you may not be using the resources to the best benefit of the organization. So, and at the same time, pushing too hard, too much, too soon causes burnout. And I think that's a greater problem than underselling. So, because burnout, especially now in our third year of the pandemic, people are really fried. And so we need to take a breath and take a step back and let people catch their breaths and, and uh, yes, and acknowledge them for the effort that they have exerted. And again, that's communication. Communication is a form, one of the terms we use a lot, and it's a positive thing, is empathy in our world. And leaders must have empathy, or we ask them to have. Well, empathy is only a first step. Empathy is, is the op opens the door. What leaders really need is compassion. And compassion is the expression of empathy. What I will do for you, what I will do for the team, what we will do together, getting to the trouble of adversity and, and burnout. It's how can we make this job more uh, humane? Uh, what can what can we there's nothing wrong with adjusting priorities or uh, workload to make it more accessible and ultimately you will get better effort because if people are maxed out at 110 percent regularly they'll do that for a while but after a while they're never going to achieve it and they give up and and it, it's that's the term we use now quiet quitting what quiet quitting is is mm, disengagement yeah. lack disengagement is a manage management and leadership problem because people don't believe in management anymore they say they just give up they just do they do what they have to do and nothing more you mentioned about compassion and that's something that honestly in the management training that i've received and both the military and the private sector and in the public sector that topic doesn't come up very much no um <laughs> and um and i would not expect it to come up in management at all and, and i don't say that dismissively management is about the practice of getting things done it's the administrative process and all of that and it's a leadership challenge and so compassion well it's come to the fore because of the because of the challenging circumstances we have had but you have seen we have seen compassionate leaders throughout our careers oh. we have seen 
seeing people exert that and understand. I'm sure you have served with senior officers who see a problem and uh, and uh, arise to the occasion to help. I know I see it very much in the corporate sector. People have done it. Now I'm simply we're talking about it, and and that's mm-hmm. simply because the topic of uh, empathy is that. So it's a human emotion, and so we, we have to d- distinguish. Compassion is not. The, not a sign of weakness, not a, not a sense of letting people do whatever they want to do. It's an acknowledgement of our joint humanity. It's an expression of recognizing another's vulnerability as I am vulnerable myself. And um, so all of those things are just treating people with kindness, uh, treating them, as I would say, with grace. So that's really what compassion is all about. Some really good examples of compassion and on occasion, when I'm not too into myself, I can usually remember to do that as well and show <laughs> compassion. Uh, so there's a lot of times, especially as you mentioned in the third year of the pandemic, we get really hung up on the production side of work, especially as leaders. Uh, we want to make sure that the employees continue to meet that production aspect, but that compassion aspect will There's that burnout. It's a real thing. We've lost a big part of our workforce due to that. How do leaders work to to grow and to display that compassion? Because too many of us, like you mentioned, view it as a sign of weakness when we ourselves can be subject to burnout. Well, an example that comes to mind, and you probably are well aware of this because, you know, you wore the uniform in at the height of the conflict in Iraq. There are multiple cases of of soldiers coming back with PTSD, and they didn't want to admit it and all this. When senior officers, including generals, would come forward and say, I have it too. That was an acknowledgement that we're all in this together and for elite, and then you treat people accordingly. So I would argue that what the senior officers did in acknowledging PTSD and opening themselves up with candor, something that you would know better than I do, is not innate to the U.S. Army. <laughs> so they made it say that is acting with compassion as an organization. You see leaders act with compassion. I think we saw it a great deal during the uh, the the lockdown phase, you know, when people say, just, you know, take care of your family, do what you can do and on. And now I think I'd like to say that has paid dividends and bond people together. But when the workload is not adjusted to, and then when the line between life and work has become so intertwined, there's no break. That's where we need compassion to say, sitting the person down and saying, Gary, I know you're doing your best, but you need to take a break. You know, and make it safe for you to do that, Gary, and without repercussion. And that's an act of compassion. So, that's a big so and the other thing is also making mental health professional services available. And again, like PTSD, without stigma. So mm. mental health is nothing more than an affirmation is a form of it's an it is mental health is a human right. I would say mental health is part of our physical health in the sense that we have because it affects the brain and our behavior. It, it, it has been stigmatized only for the last 300 or three millennia. <laughs> but I think we're time. coming to grips with it. That's really I really like that. And I wrote some notes down, actually, while you were talking about the compassion part of it, because that's something that. I know personally I can do better with just because I've, I grew up in the generation where compassion was weakness and leadership was strong. We had to be strong because the enemies were strong. And so we couldn't show that compassion. That was weakness. 
Interesting to use a battlefield analogy and go back to Ukraine right now with the thousands and thousands of Russians who are surrendering. Ukraine is using this as a terrific PR opportunity, but they are treating the POWs with compassion. I would like to think that we have done that as U.S. military for most of our history. Are there exceptions? Mm -hmm. Of course there are. You know, no one's perfect. But yeah, that's, you know, so and that is this. Actually, I would say that acting with compassion is a sign of strength. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign that I'm recognizing the humanity of others. And if you've got a problem with that, come to me. You know, so that's saying, okay, this is the way we do things in our military. As you well know, it, you know, you are taught that a soldier is taught values. That's what we taught the American ideal. What is American? Nothing more than a set of ideals. Unless they're practiced, then they, they're meaningless. We saw similar in the first Gulf War when we invaded Iraq and the Iraqi soldiers just surrendered in droves because they knew that our prison, our prisons were way more stocked with food and comforts than what they ever received in, in their normal duties they had. Yeah. That's good. Absolutely. When we're talking about leadership communications, what are some times when a leader should be silent and what are some times when a leader should not be silent? Well, I think I always like to say a leader should not always speak on important things, convene a meeting on an important issue, let people discuss it in front of you and then make the final decision. Silence is a virtue. I heard Stephen Covey once tell a story about the speaking. He used an analogy of the speaking stick, which I think is a Native American tradition. Mm -hmm. And in Native American traditions, the, the chief says very little and he or, or even she would speak last. And so those words uh, are like that. So I think in some ways, Americans might over talk. And so I often ask Amer uh, leaders to, to you know, be the last one to speak. Because if you're saying, hey, this is option A, we're going for it, no one's going to say in front of you, no boss, I think option B is. So what do you think? And then when other people say, hey, we want option B, you can say, I heard you, I understand that, but for X, Y, Z reasons, we need to go with option A. So, and that's it. So that's an open dialogue, but the leader has to have, or, you know, the project manager, whoever it is, has the final voice. Otherwise there's chaos. I like that when you're talking about, make sure that the leader is talking about the important things and emphasize and speaking last. And here's the other thing about that. If the leader is the one doing all the talking and commanding the meetings, which happens a lot, don't think there isn't communication going on because how many people, as soon as they leave a meeting, are saying, I'm not doing that, or they, you know, the pinging of the emails and uh, that guy's crazy. So there, there's that form of communication dissent, uh, which is going in the opposite direction. So better to be uh, open table this as much as possible. We have a lot of that in the workforce and even in homes, we have that in homes. I, mm -hmm. I see that a lot of my children when we have conversations <laughs> and they walk off and mumble under their breath. I realize I did my job incorrectly as the leader. Mm. <laughs> I need to bring yeah. him back in. That well, I, I think part of that is just youth. So uh, uh, they drive you nuts at the time, but it's probably healthy for their development to question their parents. So uh, even though it's maddening <laughs> at the time. So I can say that because I'm a grandfather now. So I'm one step removed. I just get my wife and I, we have all the, all the joys of, uh, mm -hmm. of children with no responsibility. <laughs> So, Those are, I can't wait for the good days. I'm counting. Yeah. I'll miss them when they're moved out, but I'll I'll be happy to see the grandkids and get, shower yeah. them with gifts and load yeah. them up with sugar and send them home. <laughs> <laughs>
So what are some ways that the newer leaders, aspiring leaders can develop some communication skills? It, it depends on, well, there's so many things. Follow the, follow the example of the leaders who communicate the best and how they do it. What do they do? Are they listeners? Are they observers? Do they employ the, the specific pause? Or do they recognize silence? Do they let others speak? Um, you know, the whole concept, and Amy uh, Edmondson at Harvard pioneered the idea of psychological safety. Well, endemic to psychological safety, people feel, do I have a voice? That's part of that communication. So acting that way. And, and so that's it. So, you know, it's, it's part of uh, speak as a leader, listen as a leader, learn as a leader. That's what you do. And understand, too, that, you know, you're going to miss you're going to misspeak. You're going to make a mistake. And if you do own it immediately, the old PR saying never turn a one day story into a two day story. <laughs> you know, when you slip up, acknowledge it, get out in front of it. That's the best thing to do. Wow. John provided us with a wealth of information in such a short time. I was intrigued by his discussion on compassion and following good examples of leaders that came before us. Now, I couldn't help but think that we could, and often do, learn a great deal from bad examples. One lousy example that I see regularly are leaders that are on the phone. As I thought about that, John seemed to be a great mind reader. And he jumped into a discussion immediately on making others feel important in meetings by paying attention to them instead of our phones. One other thing, very, very specific, is when people are speaking to you, make, keep eye contact. Don't be looking on your smartphone. Uh, listen to them. Even if you've heard this story 10,000 times, that's what the good politicians do. They make every person, they hear the stories on, um, from them, and they make that person feel as if they're the most important person on earth. Uh, that's a form of empathy. But it's also building trust within the organization and it's uh, that you make people feel as if they belong. And there's no a good leader communicates at every level from top to bottom and learns from people at top to bottom because the, the higher up you move, the more isolated you become. And so leaders have to struggle to keep the great novelist John McClare wrote in one of his novels said that a desk is a dangerous place from which to view the world. And that's true of managers to get out and meet and mingle. One you can't, I know we're in some form of isolation, but a hybrid thing, meet and mingle with your people in whatever form necessary. I remember that in, in one of the books you wrote, you talked about get out from behind the desk, go eat in the cafeteria, um, go shake hands, get, get to know them. If you could give three points for a new leader to exemplify leadership communication in a crisis situation, what would that be? Oh, in a crisis situation, leaders do three things, uh, which happens to be the theme of my new book, which is called Grace Under Pressure, Leading Through Change and Crisis. And what it's all about is leaders do three things. And what are those three things? One, take care of your people. Two, take care of yourself. And three, prepare for the future. And with all those things, you act with courage, compassion, generosity, respect for others, 
and grace. So yes, it's a little formulaic, take care of others, take care of yourself and prepare for the future. But when you do it with a spirit of grace, you create a sense of belonging, a sense of community where people want to work for you and work, I shouldn't say for you, work with you to achieve uh, great results. Thank you. What do you what do you mean exactly by grace? Can you give us some examples sure. of that? Grace is, um, I believe, is the catalyst for the greater good. As Lincoln would said, it's a way of acting the better angels of our nature. Uh, it is acting with a spirit of generosity. It is acting with respect toward others. It is acting with compassion. And it is very much acting in a leadership sense. In other words, you're doing. You are wake, finding ways to improve what you can. Grace can be an energizing force because it's a force for good and good compounds good. And it gives you the strength and the resolve. It builds resilience so that when adversity strikes, which is more often than not, we have the strength to withstand it. And with resilience, we uh, can bend and we don't break, but we come out of it stronger and better and a little smarter if we've paid attention. Dang, that's awesome. I really like that. I've never thought of grace in that, in the way that you were describing it. So that's, that's a new way for me to think about that. So thanks for sharing that with me today. Before we end, because I've had a really good time. I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed it. Well, you're great. You ask very good questions, Gary. It's a pleasure to speak to you. I respect the research that you have done, uh, just on my work, but I know for many, many others. And I wish you much success in your projects. Thank you so much. And I wish you success in yours. Before I let you go, though, can you tell me a little bit about when your new book is going to come out and where we can find it? Yes. As with all things, there's something called Amazon. All <laughs> things are there. Uh, this book is by uh, Post Hill Press. It's distributed by Simon & Schuster. It won't be out until April. But for those who are really interested, and I'm glad you gave me the opportunity, I have already developed a course on this book, uh, the principles of this book. It's called Leading Through Change and Crisis. And if you go to my website, you can find it. I welcome any and all to, to go there. But the book will be out in April. The course is available now. So. Wonderful. And your website, to clarify, is johnbaldani.com? Yes, it is. Awesome. So. Perfect. Well, thank you, Or Mr. you can just John. Go, you know, go, Google me and it, it should pop up. Should. It was easy for me to find. I Google it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, John, for your time. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And hopefully we can do this again in the future. And it'll be super fun then. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we cut out for today? No, you ask good questions and thank you. I'm honored that you would want to hear from me, Gary. So thank you. My goodness, talking with John was a great learning time. I enjoyed finding the wealth of insight that he gave us to work. In today's discussion, we found several hidden treasures regarding leadership communication. John shared that leaders need to speak, listen, and act. Leaders must stay on message, listen to their people, and listen to what their people are saying, and more, and move forward with confidence. He also shared a secret about the U.S. military using the brief back method. In this discussion type, the leader gives information and has the receiver brief the message back to them. This action ensures that the listener receives a clear message. John also discussed that Leaders must create the conditions 
to encourage others to come together for a common purpose to make actions happen. Leaders accomplish this by setting high collaboration standards that build trust as the leaders exemplify that standard. Living a double life or a double standard for that matter erodes our trust and destroys that collaboration. Additionally, John shared that leaders must work to avoid burnout both in themselves and their followers, especially in the post-pandemic world. Leaders can avoid burnout by showing compassion, acknowledging that we are all human, and that treating each other with grace. John explained that compassion is the opposite of weakness as it demonstrates that leaders are, or that the leader is confident in their actions and lives by secure values. John also explained that as leaders listen more and speak last and less, they garner extraordinary insight into alternatives that allow team members to have a voice and encourages more interaction. Additionally, he acknowledged that all leaders would misspeak at some point. I know I do. <laughs> when we do get out in front of it, admit it, and correct it, that avoids more extensive fallout. He also encouraged leaders to grow great loyalty by devoting their attention to the person that they're dealing with by making them feel as though they are the most important person in the world to them at that time. Lastly, John shared that leaders take care of their people, take care of themselves, and prepare for the future when dealing with a crisis. As you act with courage, compassion, generosity, respect, and grace, you will create a sense of community and belonging that will achieve great results. If you found as many treasures as I did on this excursion, please, please join me in the future. And next time, you know, you can always join me next time as I continue the hunt for leadership treasures and, and great information and stories for the future. Thanks so much for your time. Have a good day.